Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Sherry Mitchell and host Brenda Salgado. Welcome, everyone. Today's event is being offered in Spanish as well as English. I am Kira Epstein, the program coordinator for the new, the new school at Commonweal. I'm here with Brenda Salgado, director of the Racial Healing Initiative at the Retreat Center Collaboration. And we are so pleased and honored to co-present the second conversation in our Restoring the Heart of Our Relationships, Racial and Earth Healing series. Today, Brenda, our host, will be in conversation with activist, author, and indigenous attorney, Sherry Mitchell, talking about stories that we carry, stories that carry us, stories we want to release, and how we can nurture future narratives. Brenda will introduce herself and Sherry a little bit more, but I want to first thank Brenda for taking time out of her work at the Racial Healing Initiative to host these conversations. Thank you, Brenda. And also to thank Sherry for being with us to share some of her stories. It's pretty late at night for Sherry. The first conversation in this series was last month with cultural practitioner and educator Grace Sesma. The recordings from that conversation are already posted. We've got them on our website, tns.commonweal.org, and on our media sites at YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Many thanks to the West Marin Fund for providing some of the funding that allowed us to offer this series, including the Spanish interpretation, which we're thrilled to offer. The audio recordings are offered in both English and Spanish. You can find two podcasts, and the video has Spanish language captions that you can turn on. And we have our third and last conversation in this series in early December with ceremonialist Pat McCabe. So we hope you can join us for that. All right. I think that does it for housekeeping. So I'm going to turn it over to Racial Healing Initiative Director Brenda Salgado. Welcome to the new school at Commonweal. Thank you so much, Kira. So such a joy to be here again and grateful for the series. Um, I just want to start by uh, introducing myself. My name is Brenda Salgado. I'm the daughter of Carlos and Esmeralda Salgado. We're both born and raised in Nicaragua and came to San Francisco, California in the late 50s. So my, me, my brother, and my sister were all raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and I'm grateful to the lands that held me here and continue to hold me here. The trees, the oceans, the guardians of this place that have, have just been so generous and kind and talking to me as I grew up. Um, so grateful for those things. And then also really grateful to the lands surrounding Volcan Masaya and Nicaragua. Uh, my mother and father were both born and raised in small villages in areas surrounding uh, that part of Nicaragua. So I'm really grateful to the lands in Nicaragua that have held my ancestors over many, many, many generations, with just my generation being the first one here in California. Um, so giving thanks to those land and those land guardians that watch over and, and call me into ceremony there as well as here. Um, yeah, that's my, my preferred way to introduce myself. <laughs> I don't know if you want to introduce yourself too as well. Sherry, I'm, I, I'm happy to share our titley things later, but it feels important to start with who and where we come from. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you for having me um, and welcoming me to be part of this, this wonderful conversation that you're having across 
across time. Um, and I would love to be able to introduce myself in my language. Hello, everyone. And we see one of Hamu Gwasset and Najio Banawabskewi. Pasilda and Dilnabama Gwasus, Nelbanawabskewi, Nagakakogus, Niltibayek, Nilchkwabayakiek. So my name and my language is one Hamu Gwasset. I am from the Penobscot Nation um, and the Passamaquoddy tribe of Tibayek. My family is Bear Clan from the Penobscot Nation and Crow Clan from the Passamaquoddy tribe of Tibayek. And we are here in uh, Banawabskewi territory uh, in Chkwabayakiek, um, which is the Canadian Maritimes and down into Maine. Lovely to be here with you. It's late night here, dark. It's dark 30 over here uh, on the other coast. Uh, and it's about um, roughly 27 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's a little <laughs> bit cold. Yeah. So it's nice to be here and have this warm moment with you, Brenda. You too. You too. I, I think Indigenous people, everything is about energy and relationships. And so I want to share a little story about how I met. Sherry, um, some years ago, we were both invited to to offer some presentations. I believe Sherry was doing the keynote at a women's conference at CIIS, California Institute for Integral Studies. And I went to her stuff and she came to one of my things and we just instantly just energetically vibed off of each other and saw kinship there um, and stayed in touch from there. And so, of course, when Kira asked me about doing this series, Sherry was one of the first people that came to mind in my heart about wanting to invite to be in this conversation. So grateful for, for your presence in the world and the work that you do. And, and then also, uh, it was really beautiful because that the invitation also sparked a conversation. I think when we first met at CIAS, you had said, it'd be lovely if you could come do the rose ceremony that you did at CIAS. Um, for our women's gathering that we do every year. And then of course the pandemic happened right after that. <laughs> right. And we didn't talk for a few years and then, you know, reaching out this year about this conversation, you said, oh, you know, circling back to that conversation. And so I feel really honored that just not that long ago, actually a month and a half ago that I was with you on your lands, um, with your people and doing rose ceremony and receiving so much too, not just giving, but also receiving so much from the women you have there. <clears throat> leading all the beautiful conversations and activities. So uh, I'm still feeling very nourished by our time together. And uh, and it's beautiful too, because I feel like so much of what I want to talk about stems from those experiences. Um, yeah. And before we get into conversation and talking about some of those things that we talked about at your uh, Global Matriarchs gathering, I would love to invite you to open us with uh, a prayer from your book, your beautiful, beautiful book. Thank you. Yeah. And so um, I'm going to, there's a prayer that I have at the end of the chapter on grief, trauma, and intimacy, which just seems so important for this time that we're living in when so many people are suffering and there's so much grief with what's going on in the world right now. Um, and uh, many of you may know that we had a mass shooting here. Um about two weeks ago, and there's just been a lot of heartache here in this territory, but also around the world. So this is this is the book um, that I will be reading um, this prayer from. So, the spirit of life, 
Would you come in? Please help me to remember that my fate is twined with the fate of destiny, held in perpetuity with all life, spiraling all the way back to the beginning of time. As I move toward my highest expression, the wisdom of ages is wrapped around me like a cloak. It moves with me, shifting to match my own unique rhythm and then integrating that rhythm into the movement of creation. Let that cloak be a comfort to me in times of trial. Allow me to open myself to this wisdom and let it soften my defenses against it. Knowing that any pain that I feel during this process is caused by denying the wise enticement of my own true heart. I seek to become a willing vessel and to open my heart completely to those whom fate has drawn toward me. Allow me to see them, not through the obscured vision of my own wounding or the defensive shelter created by theirs, but with the clarity of vision that can reveal their soul to me. Give me strength to remain seated in this pursuit beyond the levels of my own discomfort and fear so that I may become the boundless being that you have created me to be, capable of embracing all life and capable of giving and receiving all of the love that the divine spirit holds for me. My heart thanks you all. And I offer these words for all of my relations. Thank you for grounding us in such a good way before we start our conversation and calling in all those beings who love us. My heart is feeling really full from that prayer and all the prayers that we co-created when we were in your at Land Peace Foundation and for the Global Matrix gathering. I'm still carrying so much medicine and healing from that time. And so there are some, some themes that you had for the Global Matrix gathering, so many beautiful women that came together of all generations. Um, I was really moved by how you opened with honoring the different stages of a woman's life from baby all the way to elder. Um, and many stages that I think a lot of people don't think of when they think about the stages. Um, so I want to thank you for the ways that you brought women together to celebrate and honor those stages of life and to celebrate, not just on a kind of theoretical level, but you actually honored specific women who are in those um, spaces. What was that like gathering the gifts and thinking about who you would um, call up to the stage to honor for these different stages? There were only two people that we knew for sure that were going to be honored on that day. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them was the baby because we had to get a baby there. Um, and my daughter-in-law was invited to come and then they all got sick. Um, and she was going to bring my grandson. And, you know, as disappointed as I was that that didn't happen, it felt perfect that my dear friend, Laura, was able to bring her daughter to that gathering of women. Um, and then the elder at the very end, who I have been, you know, um, supporting through challenges to her being in the world as she wishes to be, as, uh, you know, Skijinuiapit as an indigenous woman, um, struggling to be able to practice her own way of life in her own community has been a bit of a challenge. And the other women kind of emerged as we were there. And so, yeah, and it just felt just right. 
Yeah. Thank you for the ways that you've been supporting her and helping her. Yeah. So it's such an honor to hear her story and all the things that she's contributed to in her life and and bringing the oldest back. Yeah. So beautiful. So I was, I was really moved by that and also just inviting everyone who came to go come back and honor the women in our lives and form circle and give thanks in these ways. Um, I think two of the themes that were such a big part of the gathering, which are still staying with me. Um, one was about the stories we carry and how they can either liberate us or, or imprison us. And right being more choiceful around the stories we want to carry forward and how we can become storytellers of a new future. Um, that was uh, very, very powerful conversations that we had, you know, both in the large group and then in the small groups too, that you had us uh, break into. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you might share a little bit about how that came about to be a theme for the, for the gathering and, and what feels important to share at this time around that. Yeah, we um, we decided that that was going to be a theme of of all of our public programs this fall. Um, this this theme of story because it just felt so vitally important in some of the work that we were doing. Um, that there wasn't just we shared this um, workshop on stories with a group of young people um, at this gathering at the beginning of the summer and really challenged them to look at how has your identity been formed? What are the stories that have been told about you? What are the stories that you've told about yourself Mm -hmm. um, that have helped shape your image of who you are and how you move in the world? Um, and then we had them look at the way those stories had been framed within their family, their group, and the ways that they had behaved to uphold those stories, mm-hmm. um, how had they fought for those identities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up being, uh, it derailed one whole day of programming for us with those kids. They really got into this. Uh, and it ended up being really powerful and really informative for them. Um, and there were a lot of tears that day about them recognizing that they could choose to be who they most wanted to be and they could let those stories go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and those are the stories that we carry that uh, shape our place in the world. They're they're kind of like uh, coordinates on a map that place us in a specific place in the midst of our communities, in the midst of our families, in the midst of our, you know, our nations, our, you know, states, whatever it is, um, Mm -hmm. that they orient us to the place that we hold in life. And, um, you know, and then when we got together with the women, we expanded that a little bit because I'm interested in knowing how are the stories that we are carrying, the stories that we're telling ourselves and telling about ourselves, the stories that we're living and acting out, how are they upholding the status quo? How are they upholding the status quo of trauma within our families? Mm-hmm. How are they upholding the status quo of colonization? 
how are they upholding the status quo of misogyny um, within the imbalanced version of the patriarchy that we're living within? You know, how are these uh, stories that that we tell about ourselves giving us courage? How are they strengthening us? How are they protecting us and uh, shielding us? Um, and is there a way that those stories are actually imprisoning us and preventing us from moving forward because we found a sense of belonging within the story that has been told uh, over and over again about who and what and that we are, um, you know? And so my one of my favorite quotes that I tell all the time is a quote by uh, N. Scott Mamaday, who of course is a Kiowa author. Um, and he says, "Our um, we are what we imagine ourselves to be. Our very existence consists in our imagination of ourselves. And our greatest destiny is to imagine who and what and that we are completely. And the greatest tragedy that can befall us is to go unimagined. And so these stories are how have we come to be imagined? And how do we want to imagine ourselves to be? And then the second layer of that was what are the stories that are carrying us? Mm-hmm. What are the larger stories that we live within, whether they're, you know, stories of our religious belonging, racial or ethnic belonging, uh, other group associations, nationalism, you know, what are the what are the larger stories that are carrying us along in their tide? Um, and how are those stories sheltering us or oppressing us? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's such a rich conversation because I think this has been, I think I've always been kind of the storyteller in my family. I always want to know the family stories. I always question things, even as a small child, you know, and ask why things were a certain way um, in the church and my family and our culture. Um, and I think this power of narrative is so important in the stories we tell. Um, yeah, I think a lot about um, the pieces of what my mom and dad taught me around story and who we are and where we come from that were really powerful and beautiful. I feel like there's aspects of our story that we're about taking care of each other. I, you know, I yeah. wasn't raised by a nuclear family, you know, raised by a village. Um, so there's some beautiful things there. And then there's these other layers of patriarchy and and disrespect and and I was, you know, even as a child, I think I was trying to pull apart some of those those stories and try to yeah. figure out who I was. Um, so I think that that it's such an important thing to do because I I think about how how our ancestors did the best they could in the times they were in, and so much of these systems, like you said, capitalism, patriarchy, um, colonization rewrote stories that we had had, you know, that were very ancient, that were about respect and relationship and kinship. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's so much to unpack there. I think um, one of the things that really struck me in your sharings when we were at the, uh, at the gathering was, was a lot about um, becoming like, whereas there's so many of us that are probably on this call who have an intention for a more beautiful world, for a transformed world, a more just world. Um, 
Yeah. And, and I, and also just what is this moment asking of us? And, and I'll come back to this theme because I think there's a lot of teachings from, from my Toltec and other indigenous teachers around the time we're in and time of shift we're in and the responsibility we have, not just to ourselves, but to our ancestors and to future generations by becoming the, you know, different people in this time. But I did want to step back and just, um, ask you a little bit about oral tradition and storytelling and, and what feels important to share with the folks who are on with us about oral tradition in this time. Thank you for, for that opportunity. I, you know, I, um, the new book that I have that's going to be coming out um, opens with a chapter called indigenous oral tradition and the sacred science of sound Mm -hmm. and really understanding that, um, you know, the stories we tell become our compass. And so when we think about um, the vibration and the frequency of the things that we're saying and the orientation of those of those words um, and the feelings associated with them, the legacy and the history attached to them, uh, that there is a framework that that spins out that actually that actually makes the road that we're walking on. Um, and so when we think about our oral traditions, there, there are new reports that have come out recently that talk about indigenous oral traditions being the most accurate historical record available on the planet, uh, especially when they're talking about a geological record. Um, and so there, there are so many things that are contained within our stories that teach us how to live in relationship to life. Uh, our stories have really deep ecological knowledge. There is um, all of this wisdom within these stories that helps us understand um, how to be uh, in the place where we find ourselves and be a good relative. Um, and I also think that it's really important to understand that what we feed grows and we are um I can share a link. I see this comment from Greg. I can share a link to that because I actually have a source for that because it's in my new book. Um, there, there is this, um, this wisdom that's contained in the repetition of our stories. And so, you know, I, I talk about it in the new book about it being connected to like the migratory patterns of birds. Uh, you know, who was that first bird who figured out where to go to, to follow that path to what was most needed for their well-being of that species? Um, that our ancestors knew things about what was necessary for our well-being, not just as human beings and not just as physical beings, uh, not just where to find the best berries or the best hunting grounds, but they knew what we needed for our spirits. And um, that our songs and our dances and our ceremonies um, provide us with a language that is actually creating our migratory pattern 
And so when we think about our oral traditions, all of those old stories coming forward have created our migratory patterns that, you know, keep us on track with our, what we call here in my territory, that, that indigenous way of being in relationship with life. Um, and that's found within our stories, the stories that we tell. And I think we need to be very, very careful about the stories that we're telling at this time about, um, you know, being so careful to artfully describe the water that we're drowning in over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, we need to start describing the land that we see on the horizon. Um, we need to start becoming the people who are capable of living there in that land that we imagine um, and, and working towards that and feeding what we most want to grow. And so I just, I just want to say that much about story for right now. Yeah. So thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, there's so much that it evokes in me, like a lot of conversations that I have with folks. One is my sadness around the loss of indigenous languages, because it's yeah. not just that we're losing language, you know, and how to say apple a different way. It's there's whole cosmologies and 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 there's so much more relational in the ways that you're talking about. There's so much nuance about our relationship to to the earth and um and not as a consumer but as a relative so it's such a different way of think, thinking and seeing in the world and then i think also just about the teachers that i've had um the teachers from the purapecha lineage in michoacan my teachers from xochimilco my my toltec teacher everybody there it's it's oral tradition this passed down of the medicine and the old ways and some of that is because that's culturally how we do, because you have to be in relationship to those teachers, right? But the other is also just because I know in Central America, when the Spanish came, they it's not like we didn't have books, we had codices, and those were all burned. Well, and the few that remained were taken off into museums. Um, but, the, you know, there's so much prophecy around that time and, and for, from my ancestors in Central America around we have to be careful and have this stuff go underground and only passed orally so that um, we can continue this tradition. Um, and, and there's so much about that, right? The cosmology, the relationship, the ways of relating. And, and also there's embedded in it all is the seven generations mindset, right? Not the pathological individualism of, you know, Brenda is this being right here and I'm, you know, uh, exist outside of anything that came before or after. Um, so much, so much that's important around that oral tradition and remembering to situate ourselves in these vast webs of relationships that are both human and non-human. Um, both human and non-human, which is really important because I think that um, we get so um, human centric in our telling of the story of life. Yeah. And youngest species we need to get over ourselves and start humbling <laughs> ourselves and realize that we have the most to learn yeah. uh, you know all the other species learned how to harmonize their their relationships with one another and now we come along and in a very short period of time relative to life the existence of life um, you know we have disrupted that balance to the point where there are more than a million species right now facing extinction and so, you know, that telling of that part of the story is critically important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always heard that too, that we're the youngest relative and our other relatives, not only do they operate as kingdoms and see themselves as part of, you know, a web of beings, right. um, something that humanity has lost in many ways, right? Like we're, we're fractionated and fighting each other and 
harming each other and don't only see ourselves as the medicine wheel, like we're all part of that kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So that's so important to to remember that kinship and and to remember that there's both in the physical realm and in the non-physical realm, there's so many beings who want to support us in this transition and these new stories and our remembering of who we truly are. But if we're in that arrogance that humans have the answers, there's no way we don't slow down and listen and make offerings and build relationship, then how can they... It's not that they, they don't want to help us. They're there, but they can't, you know, it's like having a a teacher or a tutor who wants to help you, but you're not going to see the tutor. You're not talking to the tutor. You're not at, yeah, asking for that help. Um, so I think about that all the time and all the relationships, offerings, you know, ceremonies that it's, it's not about um, trying to get something from them. It's more about being in right relationship. And in that right relationship, there's so much so much teaching and opportunity and support from the other side. Uh, we think we have to do this by ourselves. And that's always the lamentation I have that humans think they, it's such an arrogance, right? To think that we're going to fix it by ourselves. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Sherry Mitchell and host Brenda Salgado. It's a, it's, it's more than arrogance. It's a, it's really a mental and spiritual illness to believe that we're meant to be isolated and to be individualistic yeah. and to be separated. This yeah. whole ethos of separation is, is truly a pathology within our species that is leading toward our elimination yeah. on the planet, that it was our communal cooperative and collaborative ways of being in relationship with one another that allowed our humanoid species of the nine that evidence has been found of, we're the only ones to survive into this age. And that was because we learned how to live cooperatively. And it's only been in a very short period of time in the last few hundred years that we have started to live these individualistic lives um, and very rapidly started to decline all forms of life on the planet as a result of that that psychosis. Um, and so we really need to heal that rift within our minds uh, and get back to an awareness that this belief in separation is, um, it really is evidence of pathology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And you know, that turns me towards the other thing that you had, uh, like what's on the other side of that if we oriented in a different way, it's, you spoke a lot at the gathering around cultural maturity and living in a yes. Right. So I, I think a lot about the indigenous prophecies that have been told from various teachers around this time of shift we're in and the Toltec calendar, we're talking about moving from the time of the fifth sun to the sixth sun. And I know some of those teachings too, is that when these big cycles come about, that it's an opportunity for humanity to like, have a collective rite of passage into the next wave of consciousness for the planet with the planet, you know? Um, so I think of us in some ways as like a young teenager con- collective consciousness that needs to now grow into a young adult. Um, and of course there'll be other rites of passage, you know, in other cycles in the future. Um, but I, that I was really struck by um, some of the things you spoke about with cultural maturity and why that's so important to talk about right now. What, do you, what would you want to share with folks who are on today about, um, why cultural maturity is an important lens to be looking at right right now. I'm, we live in a culture that is um, completely obsessed with youth. 
Uh, and um, we live in a culture that is so terrified of dying that it farms out its elders. And so when we think about um, the distinctions between the mainstream society, which is about individualism, being youth obsessed, competitive, aggressive, um, outspoken in a way that is uh, overly confident, where the confidence outranks and outdistances competence by a large measure, um, and very fast paced where we don't have time to make good decisions. Um, those are all things that, you know, frightened, un unforgiving, violent, punitive, fragmented, commodified, divided, judgmental, um, shaming, canceling, all of those things are, are evidence of an immature culture. And so when you have a culture that is obsessed with youth, that is terrified of aging, um, it actually rejects wisdom um, from their elder population. And so when you have uh, uh, traditions that um, that reject the wisdom of their elders, then you're bound to skim across the surface and uh, make shallow action, right? If you don't have any depth of understanding, depth of awareness, depth of character, then all of the action that you take is going to consistently be shallow. And I feel like that's where we are in regard to the immaturity of our culture. And so shifting away from that individualism back towards kinship, uh, mm -hmm. community, collectivity, um, understanding the value of elder wisdom, uh, respecting those who have lived a long time and who have seen a lot of things uh, and um, recognizing, you know, that um, we don't just uh, have this uh, completely uh, isolated right to declare things for ourselves, because one of the things that wisdom tells us is that rights on their own do not have legs. The foundation for all rights is a corresponding set of responsibilities to ensure that every other living being is given the same sense of dignity that we expect for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, really starting to recognize that um, the homogenization of culture that happened under colonization, one of the things that it did in that homogenization is it stripped away um, the values of the cultures who are coming to this territory. Um, you know, if you want to be part of this one homogenous culture and you're stripping away everything that makes you distinct, you're also stripping away the language, the teachings, the cultural values that taught you how to live in relationship in the places where you're from. Yes. And so people have forgotten how to be in relationship life. Right. We've moved away from it. All of those things are evidence of our maturity, immaturity uh, as a culture. And so um, looking at the ways that we uh, really need to get back to, I mean, one of the things that I've been blessed with is a ceremonial life. Mm -hmm. um, and I have worked for the past 35 years with indigenous spiritual and traditional elders um, who have taught me so much and we've lost so many of them. 
And one of the things about those kind of elders is that they were very humble, um, mm -hmm. you know, and humble is not self-deprecating. Humble is a willingness to continue to remain curious. Yeah. To continue to keep your heart open, to live in a state of wonder and awe. And also that humbleness, that bent over state of being keeps your heart closer to the earth. And so, you know, we need more of that in this life. Um, and one of the things that I, I did a, just did a three day um, workshop with a cohort of fellows that I'm working with in this 18 month equity and justice program, environmental equity and justice program. Um, we just had a, a three day retreat at the end of last week. And one of the things that we talked about in this retreat was, you know, this world desperately needs loving matriarchs. This world desperately needs people who are engaged in loving mothering, uh, not as a form of, uh, you know, physical designations of mothering, but in a form of caring for, nurturing, cultivating, you know, helping the spirit of that being rise up whole and intact. Uh, we need those kinds of matriarchs who are going to be taking responsibility for cultivating a new generation of human beings. Um, I, I talked about this thing that I had read that Angela Davis had said recently that uh, where she said that, you know, we, we can't, we can't just, vision this new world that we want to live in and then think that by some magical process the human beings capable of living there are just going to magically appear <laughs> we have for that kind of magical thinking uh, and go back to the magic of interrelatedness interconnectedness responsibility for one another in caring loving ways we've outsourced all of our humanity to food banks and social service organizations and mental health facilities we've forgotten how to take care of one another right and so if we want to imagine this world that we want to live in how can we today make ourselves into human beings capable of living there what does it feel like to be there what does it sound like when we talk to one another? How are we engaging in relationships with one another? You know, what is it that we're doing um, in this new world that we want to inhabit that's different from how we're living today? And then how can we change ourselves to become capable of living in that world now? Because we think that the world has to precede us becoming those human beings. That's backwards. We have to become those human beings capable of living in that world. And then it rises up from us. Yeah. You know, that's where we have to be right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to touch on before we switch over to a little practice and some Q&A, I wanted to, because I'm doing this work with Racial Healing Initiative, I know that I come in and, you know, following in the great footsteps of Victoria Santos and creating this organization and, but I'm coming in with a very different lens, an indigenous lens, a lens of the time of shift that we're in. And I keep coming back to this. It's, it's about more than racial healing. It's about healing our relationship with land and each other. Um, and ceremony is an important part of that. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Um, so tell us a little bit about kind of 
the the work that you're doing at the the kinship community there about its name and what it stands for and and why why is the importance of healing and ceremony for repairing those relationships with the land and each other so important there yeah um so here where i am right now um there's a beautiful ghost story about this place that i don't have time to tell um (laughs) about how i came to be here and how the ancestors of this land came together with my ancestors and we had this magical moment of intergenerational cross-cultural interdimensional healing but i had been looking for a long time for a place because i knew that i wanted to have a land-based place um because it's you know it's critically important for us right now to renew our relationship with the land um and one of the things that my partner said that softened him and prepared him for loving me was when he stopped fighting against all of the corporations and forces that he hated that Mm. he despised and began cultivating a relationship with the earth that he loved Mm. and so he's been an environmental activist for a long time fighting against what he what he did not want to see, what he did not want to see proliferate. And when he shifted himself from um, from that towards loving the earth, something in him opened and softened. And he turned his head and after 10 years of knowing me was like, oh, yeah, there she is. And now I'm, I'm able to love her. Um, and so, you know, I feel like this reconnecting with the earth opens and softens something in us when we're cultivating this soil that softening that happens within us is critically important Uh, and so we came to this place by invitation of spirit and um, the name of this community is Wajukum Tiltina, kinship community. Uh, Wajukum Tiltina means let's help one another. Uh, And so this community is about helping one another to heal, to reconnect to the land. It's about building bridges across um, imagined divides. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, we also just had two weeks ago um, here on this land, healing ceremony where people came from all over. Um, And this is part of a much larger 21 year ceremonial cycle, which will be coming to California in 2025, which we're going to need to talk about. And we are in the direction of the South. Now we began in the direction of the East. And what's important about ceremony is that uh, it orients us with a way of being and a way of knowing that's deeper than the way of being and knowing that is available to us within the mainstream culture and certainly within capitalism and colonization. Um, And so uh, we started under that Eastern spiritual doorway, which is a doorway of creation. And here in the United States, that's the point of first contact within Chwabanakieg, within this territory. Um, And uh, under that Eastern doorway, the doorway of creation, there was incredible acts of violence that were committed against our peoples. For a long time, there was a bounty on our heads under the this, um, Phipps Proclamation. I have a copy of it here on my wall to remember why I do the work that I do, right? Because we're still here and uh, we are a miraculously surviving people. And so, um, you know, when we think about the the violence that was proliferated here, what's created in the East 
moves toward the Western doorway, which is the doorway where we leave this land, where we leave this life. Um, and we enter into the spirit realm. So it drives in that direction. And if you think about the violence that started in the eastern part of this country and moved across to the west and then was exported out to other, other nations, there was a, an understanding of our ancestors that that eastern doorway had to be closed because what was being created here and given life here and being born here could no longer be proliferated. And so they closed that Eastern doorway for a long time. We reopened it with the healing turtle Island ceremony. Um, and we have to date in seven years brought together more than 50,000 people from six continents to pray for the healing of the hearts and minds of human beings and for the renewal of our relationships with one another and with the natural world. And so the importance of being in ceremony is about the connection of our hearts and our minds to a deeper wisdom, um, but also to the very sources of our survival, which we have become disconnected from. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the natural world as being a resource, uh, you know, water being a resource, the land being a resource, even with carbon credits, the air being a resource. These are the sources of our survival. Like we're so disconnected from our own, you know, uh, attachment to life that we've forgotten what the sources of our survival are. Yeah. And so we have to remember ourselves, reconnect ourselves with the heart of life. And so that's what ceremony does for us. It reconnects our hearts to the heart of life, to the heart of spirit, to the heart of Mother Earth and helps to create within the soil of our being that softening, that opening that allows for us to cultivate and to grow um, new ways of being and new ways of knowing that are beyond the rational mind, beyond the limitations of linear ways of thinking and breaks down the binaries within our thinking. And so, um, you know, all of that is found within ceremony. So um, I know we're running out of time. I'm just going to say one more thing here about this and then I'll, I'll be quiet. Um, so in our tradition, when we're talking about our ceremonial ways of being, the root word for our sacred uh, medicine societies, the Medewalin, it actually, the, the part of that word actually describes the space between the skin and the wood on the drum. Mm -hmm. It helps us to remember that it's in the spaces in between where the sound is created. It's the spaces in between where life is created within our bodies. Uh, almost every tradition has this notion of a hollow being, uh, you know, whether it's a hollow reed or the hollow man, or, um, you know, that, that hollow being for our tradition, uh, being a medicine person, um, somebody who is capable of bringing spirit into their being and then funneling, that spirit back out um, into different expressions. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, it's there within us and we've lost sight of it because we've been, we've been locked into all of this binary thinking because we've been locked into these homogenized ways of being and knowing because we've lost the language of our connectivity to the heart of life. Um, and we can reclaim that. It's not lost. We've just lost sight of it. 
And so we just need to clear our vision a little bit and there it will be again, you know, just like my, my sweetheart who says, oh, you know, I had this thing and I looked and there she was. Like when we do that, when we open our hearts and when we soften ourselves inside, we lift our heads up and we see the world in a completely different way. And I think that that's, that's something that's really beautiful that we all have access to. Yeah, I, I appreciate that sharing. It's so many parallels with me and my husband. We've been married 19 years and and to see his heart break open, you know, from working with the earth, with growing food and, and saying it's healing me, but also to have seen the shift in him, like, you know, I know that I've shared with you that there's a piece of land that's calling me to steward it with the women's right. part of and and you know, we're in the process of creating land trust, but we've actually been in the land relationship with the land for many years because they told us at the beginning, I first need a lot of healing. I was a rock quarry and I was really, really harmed. And, and I need you guys to do healing work on me first. And so we've just been in all the ceremony over the years with the land and obedient to the land and then, and supporting the land guardian beings that are there that need to be released and, and are working with us now. And just that it's in that kinship and relationship that so many things are possible. And this, this piece for me around shifting, like the land said, you know, you need to help people learn to be land stewards again. Cause I remember mm. early on when I first told my husband about the land calling me, the land told me he has to do his own work because he needs to become the man that could be on that land with you. And, and you were, you know, you're indigenous. So you understand, you don't think about owning land. You think about stewarding land and right. that's he's raised in a different cultural construct. And it's been this beautiful thing. Like we were in ceremony February this year with the women's circle and he was there and he said, I, I get it now. And he's like, I want to be in service to what the land wants. I want to be in service to what the women who are listening to the land and doing ceremony with the land are hearing the land wants. Like he's like, I want to build things and do things here, but I no longer want to be the one driving what that is. I want to be in service, you know, to the feminine, to the earth, you know, that my sacred masculine is, is showing up in this way. And it's been such a gift to watch him blossom that way. Yeah. It's been beautiful. Um, I think because I've been doing a lot of sacred feminine work for years and then being called into boys and men of color work and sacred masculine work too. Like I see these, like we all need healing. I, I see patriarchy, racism, capitalism, all the things they have been damaging to everyone in the system. It's just been damaging in different ways. And what does it mean for all of us to come back into your wholeness? So um, in the next couple of minutes, I would love for you to share a little bit about the men's calling, the men's gathering that you had, what, you know, what is bubbling up inside of you around the sacred masculine and the healing that goes along parallel with, with our healing. It really does. Um, you know, for, for a long time, I've been working with women who are, really trying to stand up fully within their being mm -hmm. um, and then to stand up fully within their power as creators um, of life, uh, you know, and about 20 years ago, I went to this uh, ceremony out in um, Montana. It was an elders gathering. And uh, I always tell this funny part of the story first is that I, uh, it was, july and it snowed on us it was 30 something degrees all of a sudden overnight in montana and it snowed on us and we were camping and we were in teepees out there um and i woke up with snow dripping on my face and i had been freezing all night and then all of a sudden they came through camp with the drum to 
tell us that it was time for sunrise ceremony and I was freezing cold and I was, I was a little mad and I, uh, <laughs> and so I wrapped my blanket around me and I went out there for a sunrise ceremony and um, my good relatives, I like to tell this story when my brother Clint is around, who's from Onondaga. And I say, and I, you know, the Onondaga do the, the Thanksgiving prayer at the beginning of everything where they thank everything from the center of the earth to the center of the universe. And if they're really feeling it, it can take, it can take three days, literally. Um, and so, you know, that morning I was, I was being, you know, I was behaving in ways that I'm not proud of. I was like, oh, please, God, please let it be, let it be, let it not be the Haudenosaunee today. Please don't let it be the Haudenosaunee's time to say morning prayers. That <laughs> <laughs> tiny guy from a Pueblo tribe that doesn't like the cold and wants to get out of here and close us down real quick so we can go back to the warmth. Um, and so we get over there and there's a quick prayer that's done for sunrise. And then they said, all your babies can go back to bed. We're going to do a men's pipe ceremony here today all the men come in we're going to do a healing prayer for the men and I was like yes <laughs> so I started to leave and I sat on the edge of that arbor because as soon as I got to the very edge where I was going to step out of it I just had this deep conviction within me to sit down and pray for these men mm. it's like oh man so I sat down there and I prayed for the men. And uh, after a while, I, you know, I had my eyes closed and you can see it when a light comes on, even with your eyes closed. So I could see this light directly across from me. And I was like, oh, the sun must be coming up. But then I remembered, no, I'm in the West and I'm facing West. That's not the sun. Okay. I'm just going to keep praying. Then there was another one over here. And then there was another one over here. And then there was another one over here. And after a while I looked and I could count 12 of those balls of light um, all around where I was sitting, uh, when it was over and I opened my eyes, 12 other women had come out. So there were 13 of us that were sitting there surrounding those men, praying for them. Um, and, uh, every one of them at breakfast was giving me a hard time saying, yeah, geez, we saw you over here praying for these men and we felt guilty. So we had to come over and pray for them too. Um, and what came to me during that prayer was, we are never going to be able to stand up as powerfully as we're capable of standing up as women until we help the men reclaim their hearts, that we have to help them to heal and to reclaim their hearts. So they're strong enough to stand up beside us in our full power because the men are not strong enough to stand up beside us in our full power right now, because the patriarchy has stolen from our men. Right. And that intuitive wisdom, that intuitive heart based wisdom that every being is meant to carry within them has been stolen from our men. So they've been walking around half formed all of this time. Um, and so we need to give that back to them. And so that was the calling for the men. That's why men's gatherings here. And we invite men from all backgrounds to come um, to uh, be here for the ceremony. And one of the beautiful things that, that came out of it, which is really powerfully healing for these men, um, was this understanding that the, um, the simplicity of our language, it's just for my, my dear friend, Leon Dunkley, um, that the simplicity of our language does not 
measure up to the beauty of our spirits. Mm. That we don't yet have the language for what we're fully capable of. Uh, and I think that that's not just true for that one group of men who is meeting on that day, you know, that the maturity of their language does not, does not quite measure up to the beauty and the capacity of their souls, but that, um, that's true for all of us, that we, we are developing a collective and cooperative language, um, that allows us to be able to co-create something that is a true reflection of the capacity of the beauty of our souls. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Sherry Mitchell and host Brenda Salgado. Yeah, I resonate so much with that. I, I think there's so many places I've gone. I've, it's been important for me to encourage the wholeness and the healing of everyone across the gender spectrum, right? And just and also holding up our young ones who are coming in who are more fluid on that gender spectrum that are thinking right. of the prophecy of the eagle and the condor and how the teachings prior to colonization were that we had to cultivate both wings of the eagle and the condor, regardless of what our gender was, we had to cultivate both wings to fly in balance and, um, you know, and that so often, you know, those young ones who come in that are already born more in that balance and are flying it more in that balance that are coming here to teach us things in this time and need to be supported on their journey and, and medicine that they bring to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Such important. It's important that we heal together, for sure, across generations, across genders, across um, races, like we were just one family, you know, so this is the time right. to bring some real back together and that mm-hmm. medicine right relationship to the other kingdoms again uh so so much work to be done and how joyful it is when we do it together uh, that we're not yes yeah um so i want to switch in a moment but um i what i did want to do is offer a short practice for people i was going to do a longer one but i think let's do a short one um and so this is a Toltec practice around the fires. And I think it relates to this conversation we're closing on. So we do a practice uh, where we're bringing three of the four fires to our thymus gland, our immune system, to strengthen our immune system to help us in this time. So I'm going to invite people who are listening just to get comfortable. And if you want to close your eyes, you can. And you don't have to if you don't want to. And to just take a couple of deep breaths in and out and to invite your breath lower and slower in your body so you're rooted in your body. And as you're doing that, sending gratitude to Mother Earth for all the ways that she supports us, sending our gratitude as a good child would of Mother Earth, thanking her for the ways that she gives us food and shelter, nourishment, medicine, and receiving some love for her in return because we're offering our gratitude first. And allowing that energy from the core of Mother Earth to fill us up and ground us. And as we're doing that, also sending our gratitude out through our crown to the cosmos, to the universe. We're not only uh, citizens of this Earth, we're also citizens of this cosmos, this galaxy. So we send our gratitude out towards the cosmos, the galaxy, towards our star family, towards our higher self, towards whatever guardians, ancestors, spirit guides we might have, thank them for the ways they watch over us and support us as well. Help us to remember who we are. And as we send that gratitude, receiving some of that energy back, filling us up. So we're feeling that energy coming from the divine above and the divine below, filling us up 
centered at our heart. And as we connect in those two directions, we want to offer some, we want to connect with the energy of sacred fire. And we're going to talk to three of the fires. So the first fire we're going to connect with is the young male fire, Shutakutli. And so we're going to offer with our breath four offerings. So you'll just breathe out four times because we always want to come with respect and offerings before we ask to be in relationship. So first breath, you're going to offer the best energy of your dreams, best energy of your thoughts, best energy of your feelings, best energy of your actions. And you're going to place your right hand out in front of you. And we're just going to ask the young male fire to come to our right hand and to give us energy. So I'm going to say, Shutikutli Shiwawi, Shutikutli Shiwawi, Shutikutli Shiwawi, Shutikutli Shiwawi. We're just asking the young male fire, please come be with us. Please come be with us. And just feel the energy of the young male fire coming into your right hand. You may sense this as vibration or energy. You may not feel anything, but to trust that when we make the offerings and we ask for connection in a respectful way, that the energy is coming to us. And we'll do this just for a short time. So we're going to close that fist and you're going to take it to the center of your chest where your thymus gland is. And we're going to ask some of that energy from the young male fire to be transferred to our thymus gland. And this young male fire is like the fire that takes down forests really quickly. It's that warrior fire, uh, that young male fire that can take everything down really quickly all at once. So we ask for the energy of the young male fire to strengthen our thymus gland so that we have the power and the ability to take down viruses, bacteria, COVID, illness and disease easily and quickly in one shot. That we want that vital energy of the young male warrior to help our thymus gland to take things down that are foreign, that don't serve our health and well-being. So allowing that energy to transfer to your thymus gland that you received. We say thank you to the young male fire. Next, we put our left hand out in front of us. Then we make the four offerings with our breath, the offerings of the best energy of our dreams, thoughts, feelings, actions. And we ask now for the mature female fire to come into our left hand. Shantiko Shiwawi, Shantiko Shiwawi, Shantiko Shiwawi, Shantiko Shiwawi. Female fire, please come be with us. Mature female fire, please come be with us. And feel the energy of the female fire, which has not been honored in the way it should be in our modern culture, but our, our ancestors who lived in indigenous ways or indigenous place, we all have ancestors who honored the female fire in their own ways. So as you feel that energy coming into your left hand, this is the energy of the mature female fire. This is the fire of the hearth and the home of gathering people around the table for nourishing meals, for healthy, respectful relationships, healthy communication in our relationships, respect with one another and with ourselves in relationships. You're going to close that fist and take it to your thymus gland in the center of your chest. And we ask for this female fire to be with us. 
one of the teachings in the Toltec is that for some reason, if the lower vibration bacteria, viruses, cancer cells get past the young male fire, the female fire, who is the vibration of love, the higher vibration of love, she can transmute things that got past the young male fire through her vibration of love and relationship. And this is also the fire of self-love. It's not just love for others, it's love for ourselves as well. In the West, one of my teachers, Sergio Magana, talks about one of the reasons we have so much autoimmune disease in the West is because we don't have good self-love, self-respect. And when we love ourselves and we cultivate our relationship with a female fire of self-love, that our immune system will not attack us because we love ourselves. Our body will not attack itself. So if you're someone who struggles with immune disease, uh, autoimmune disease, consider doing this practice and spending more time connecting with a female fire. And you can also take this uh, energy now and move it to your heart area on your left side and ask for some of that female fire to be put into your heart as well so that you have good relationships with others, that you have healthy, respectful relationships in your family, in your community, with your children, with your coworkers. You're asking for the female fire to help you cultivate healthy, respectful, nourishing relationships. Let me say thank you to her. And lastly, we put our right hand out for the elder fire. So we offer the best energy of our dreams, thoughts, feelings, actions. And now we ask for the elder fire to come and be with us in our right hand. Elder fire, please come be with us. Please be with us. And allow some of that energy to come into your right hand of the elder fire, the ancient fire. This is the energy of elders who have lived, have had experience and are able to navigate things with grace and wisdom. Whether that's difficulties and challenges or helping to lead their community, that these are our humble but powerful elders who lead with grace and wisdom and model this for the younger generation. So we want to connect with that elder fire so that we can cultivate and work on our own training to be a good elder in the future, to be a good ancestor in the future. We want to work with the elder fire as well. And to have that grace and wisdom to navigate the difficulties that are happening all around us in a good way. You can take that fist and take it to your thymus gland and we thank the elder fire. We ask for that transfer, that energy to our thymus gland, so we're able to navigate COVID, pandemics, difficult situations in the world with wisdom and grace. Give thanks to these three fires for being with us as we continue to transfer that elder fire energy to our thymus gland. We ask for that strength to battle the things that we need to take down, the love to transmute the things of lower vibration and to cultivate healthy relationships with ourselves and others and the grace and wisdom to navigate whatever life is giving us at any time with the wisdom and grace of an elder.
So we clap our hands together. We say thank you to the three fires for allowing us to visit with them and to allowing us to store energy in our thymus gland so we can be strong and healthy. And on the count of three, we'll come back. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share a little medicine with you. It felt important give the themes that you were talking about, Sherry, around honoring our different stages of life, honoring our elders, honoring our women and matriarchs as well. So I want to turn to some questions now. Uh, so we have a few questions. Uh, one of them from River uh, how do we begin to repair our torn relationships with the bioregions, the planetary earth, individual rocks, plants, animals, elements? How do we begin to listen? That's the first question we have. A river, I'm sorry to tell you that there's, there's no simple answer to that question. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I often start people with when they come to me to ask these questions is, how do you learn to listen to yourself? Mm -hmm. um, how do you learn to discern between the voice of your ego and the voice of your higher truth? How do you discern what the voice of your fear sounds like? Um, what is the voice of self-condemnation and criticism sound like? Uh, so I think that the first thing that you learn to do is you learn to recognize all of the voices that are speaking within you so that you know where those voices are originating so that when you try to listen for a voice outside of yourself, you're able to recognize it as being something different than a voice that's already existing within you. And so learning how to discern the voices within you is the first step to being able to discern the voices of those um, outside of you. And so, um, you know, uh, and just sit, just sit um, with your body on the earth mm -hmm. and, and just be there without having to, don't be grasping at anything. I remember one time when an elder was telling me that there was a being that was trying to make contact with me who would become one of my teachers and um, that all I needed to do was to bid them welcome into my life. And so for six months, I, I sat in meditation and said, okay, you're welcome. You can come in the front door. You can come in my dreams. You can, you know, wrap me on the head. You can speak out loud. You can send me some symbols. And six months later, I went back to that elder and I was like, I've been trying for six months to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they listened for a long time and just nodded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then after I went through all of my complaints, they said, so tell me when, when did you stop talking long enough to actually listen? And I think that we have so much chatter that goes on inside of us that we've forgotten how to be quiet and to listen. Um, so those kinds of practices, I think, are really important when we're trying to learn how to recognize the voice of the trees, um, to hear the whispers in the wind, um, the song that's in the water. You know, there's all of these things that we can that we can listen for that just remind us of a beauty that we've lost that is, um, you know, still alive somewhere inside of our blood. Uh, and um, 
and it all comes with really first starting to discern your own voice from the voice of those other relatives in the natural world. Yeah, ditto, ditto. It's so important. Um, and we talk a lot about this transition from the fifth sun. The fifth sun is very much like about looking outside for solutions. The sixth sun that we're transitioning into is about going inward and listening in the ways that you're talking about. Yeah, and if we don't slow down and we don't get still and we don't, uh, yeah, if we, like you said, if we don't stop talking, <laughs> how can we yeah. possibly? Yeah, yeah, right. to be curiosity and, and that listening is so important. I would mm-hmm. also say, like, wherever you live, get to know the beings around you. Like, I have relationships with all the trees around me, with the fairy beings. And part of that is just going out and talking to them and making offerings. And um, again, that listening and being still. Um, like I, I think about it, like if you're trying to make a new friend in your neighborhood, you wouldn't go over to their house and just talk nonstop. You'd ask them questions and then you'd stop long enough for them to answer your questions <laughs> and you'd share story. You'd ask them about the yeah. story. And so ask, I mean, I, I, there's this, writing course I was in with Bayo Komalafe a long time ago. And, and I love Bayo. I love Bayo too. He's a good friend, but I love that he, he's had us go out and talk to trees and rocks and ask them what story they wanted to tell with us. Yeah. It was just beautiful. And I was, I was like, oh, this is kind of writing course. Cause I'm not really into the right course thing, <laughs> but it was about yeah. you know, being in that relationship. What, what stories do they want to tell with us? And, and you got to slow down and listen. Yeah, I'm I'm a part of Bio's emergence network on his visionary council. And yeah. Bio is masterful at just bringing it right down to the earth. Yeah. yeah. Just in a word, just bringing it right down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him so much. Mm-hmm. Friend. Um, there's another question around the return of the white buffalo for decades. Been hearing about this return. Yesterday, or years ago, I was gifted with the story of the return of the golden bear to California. Have any of you sensed or heard of this story before? I haven't heard of uh, Bayo Akomalafe. Akomalafe. Yeah, he's a good brother. I've been I've, I've been held held ceremony in his spaces as well, which has been really fun, and was part of the Three Black Men event in LA. And yeah, I know. Yeah, so it's such a good person. Such and a good person. Yeah, yeah. As is Resma. Yes, yes, and Orland. Yeah. Oh, um, I don't know Orland, but yeah, I should put a link to the Three Black Men because watching that is really powerful too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the, the one I don't, I can't speak much to that particular prophecy. I will say that I noted the other day, and I don't remember where it was that I saw it, that uh, a white, uh, I think it was a white mountain lion cub was born recently. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was very excited by that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I will just say that that is a Lakota prophecy. Mm-hmm. And that's not my story to tell, um, that there are keepers of that story within the Lakota tradition. Um, mm-hmm. And that's their story to tell. So here's another question from Lorena. How do we reconnect with our indigenous roots as mixed people who lost our connection to our indigenous roots generations ago? 
And how do we reconnect with the land when we live on lands, not ancestrally that of our own people? I really resonate with this question, uh, Lorena. I was, you know, one of the things I didn't share, which I usually share when I do a longer introduction, is that my parents both are of indigenous Jotapega descent, as well as Spanish European descent. So we have folks who were in that land, you know, especially my maternal line, uh, a long, long time. I'm grateful for for that grandmother because she's my strongest ancestor that guides me from the other side uh, and has has guided me on the medicine path too. So I'm very grateful to her. And I also, you know, when I was young, I have to say that I, I felt a little disconnect with some of my father's family, partly because they were less connected. My mom's family, you know, they have their little picadillos and dysfunctions, but they're always together and <laughs> they take care of each other. And then my dad's side, there's definitely more fracturing and stories of people betraying each other in the family. Um, and so there's there's a part of me, I think, when I was young that had a lot of sadness around that. But also, as I've come to work with my ancestors and worked with the more indigenous ones first and helped to work on the healing for those lineages, they've been turning to help me uh, heal the less healed ancestors. And I'm so grateful. And what I'm learning too, is that all those ancestors had ancestors who were indigenous to place at one time. And, um, that there are ones in, in the lineages who want to, to help like reclaim, reclaim the old ways. And my healing is their healing and their healing is my healing. Um, and so there's a lot of karma and trauma to be healed there because, um, I know Erasmus speaks to this a lot, that it was in Europe where, you know, long, long ago, people destroyed their own condor people, their own medicine people, their own people who are connected to their earthless way. And, and it's from that imbalance of not having the eagle condor imbalance that they began to spread that that illness everywhere we go. I and mean, you talked about this as a spiritual illness. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I recognize that there's just more illness on some, some parts of my lineage. And I want healing for that lineage as much as I do for the others um, because they were sacred beings too, and they lost their way. Um, And there's karma, you know, there's a lot of like had to do a ceremony recently to heal karma on the land in Nicaragua from some of my father's ancestors and some of the things they did. Um, So that's, I feel like that's partly why I'm here. And, and I think, uh, I think is for me, it's just, important to to start looking at and and thinking about our ancestors and calling in the healthy ones first asking the healthy ones to come forward to help us start uh, with some of this work and then as we get stronger asking them to help us and to turn and heal some of the ones that were more disconnected um and then the other piece is you know i just remember um makani thamba nixon one time years ago we were at a gathering and she said what would it be like if we learned to be indigenous to place again, even if we're not on the land of our ancestors? And some of that means be building relationship with the indigenous peoples that are there now that have been there for a long time and ha- know how to steward the land and have that relationship with the land long before this was the United States. And some of that is around cultivating our own relationship in the ways that Sherry was talking about. Um, cultivating our relationship to our local water, our local earth, our local air, our local, you know, our different uh, nature beings, um, learning to walk in a good way and ask permission. Like we had to trim trees recently and my husband and I had to do a ceremony and make offerings and talk to the trees before they came to trim because 
they're our relatives and I don't want them to not trust us anymore and, you know, talk to them and ask their permission and explain why we're doing what we're doing. And I, and I realized, you know, uh, the city came and cut down a tree not long before that, um, that was on the street that was kind of out of our control. Um, and I could feel the trauma of the other trees around the loss of their relative. And I did a lot of ceremony, especially with the one that it was really close to that was like its twin. And so I was trying to reassure the trees, like, we love you. You're part of our family. Um, somebody's going to be coming to trim and we're not taking you down. And after that trauma that happened recently, it's really important to tell you, this is just to keep you healthy in the storm. So you don't fall over so you don't cause harm to yourself or to the house or the power lines, uh, to make you more stable in, in the storms. And, but just, you know, it's this piece for me of, of, um, reconnecting with the land we just start by introducing ourselves and making offerings and listening and asking how we can be a good relative again and, and waiting for that answer what would you want to share sherry um well i see that we're really getting close to the end of time so i'll try to be quick um you know when i get this question all the time about reconnecting to the land when you're you know they are disconnected from your ancestral lines. Um, and that notion of disconnection is an illusion. Um, and I think that, you know, people often hear about seven generations and they think they're going seven generations back and seven generations forward. But, you know, this concept of seven generations is this awareness that um, my great grandmother, when she was carrying my grandmother, in her body had my grandmother had the, you know, the eggs in her ovaries that were going to give rise to my mother and that would then give rise to me. And so there's like this three generations behind me that carried literally the eggs that led to my creation. And then my body is an origin point for another three generations. So my daughter and now my granddaughters, and then someday their daughters um, will be that, that, you know, seven generations with me in the center of it. And so you really go back from where you are right now, three generations to the land of that third generation. Um, and whatever land they were on, when they were born, their bodies magnetically oriented to the land of their birth, just like your bodies magnetically orient to the land of your birth. Um, and when your feet are standing on the earth, you're connected to this one living being. Uh, you're not like, oh, I'm separated from my homelands. Your feet are on the earth. This is one living being. Yeah. You're not separated from anything. You know, that's, that separation is in your mind. Yeah. Um, and so if there, if, you know, you have relatives where more of their blood is in a different land, uh, if you can go to that land and get a little bit of that soil and put it in your medicine bag, and carry it with you as you're reorienting yourself in magnetic alignment with a new place that goes a long way towards helping you feel grounded on that land. But, you know, uh, people are really searching for um, an indigenous ancestor and there's a real epidemic 
of identity thievery going around uh, around <laughs> related to this because people are so desperate to find some way of expressing a desire for connection. Um, but again, we get it twisted in our minds um, that ability to be able to be in relationship with the land, to be in kinship with the land. Um, one of the things that that um, we talked about at the women's gathering was this concept of exdigenous, that, you know, not everybody's indigenous, but everybody, you know, it, it, everybody that's not indigenous today is exdigenous because at one point in time they were indigenous to someplace. But trying to claim that indigenous identity actually takes away from the reality of the people who are living with the consequence of being indigenous today. Uh, you know, it's not a romantic, romantic thing for a lot of people. It's a very difficult path. Um, and so one of the things that we have to teach people who come to our place over and over again is how do you enter into an indigenous space and receive without taking? Mm. Because that's the key lesson in being in right relationship is how do you open yourself to receive without the need to take, to claim? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just thinking about those pathways and the ways that um, this need to claim is the same as this need to be seen, um, which is, which is, you know, something that is uh, a real clear psychosis to me within our society that need to be seen all the time and to need to claim something and the need to grab onto something. Uh, it's a fear of being who you are right now as a human being with your feet on a living earth and being in relationship, right relationship with that living earth and with all of the beings who are around you in that moment in the space that you're occupying right now. How do you bring yourself into, into alignment with all of the life that surrounds you in any given moment, that's your pathway back. Yeah. That's it right there. That's it right there. It's a yeah. beautiful note to end on. I want to uh, thank you for taking the time, Sherry, to be with us tonight. It's sure. been such a rich and beautiful conversation. And I want to hand it back to Kira. We'll close this out. Wonderful. Brenda and Sherry, so much appreciation and gratitude uh, for you being with us and for your time tonight. And thank you to all of you who joined us from all over the country. And I want to also thank, take the time to thank the Retreat Center Collaboration for co-presenting this event. And I saw that, that I see that Ben's on the call with us tonight too. So thank you very much. Again, we'll have recordings produced of this conversation on our website, tns.commonweal.org. And be sure to find us on all of our media sites, subscribe and like, that helps us out a lot. If you appreciated this conversation, please join us in December. We'll have our last conversation of the series uh, in early December. Brenda Salgado and Sherry Mitchell, thank you for joining us at the New School at Commonweal. We'll see you next month. You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Sherry Mitchell and host Brenda Salgado. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. Our theme music was performed by Debbie Daly. 
visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening. Water, I feel home. Water could heal my body.